Breakers and welcome to the 47th episode of Project Studio Tea Break. I am Mike Senior and I am here with President of the Kittens Club, John Whitten. Hello, hello. Proud and happy and glad to be here. Slightly confused. Won't lie. Never met a cat that likes me. No, this is quite a specific Kittens Club. This is Kittens with a Z, as in the <laughs> official fans of Doja Cat. Oh no, that is the one cat. Absolutely. I'd, I'd call myself King of the Kittens. Mm. Oh, it's good to be here. <laughs> and uh, yeah, have you earned your tea break this month, John. I have, in the most boring way to talk about on a podcast. I've just been working quite hard. <laughs> Don't sound so surprised. Well, <laughs> it's just been, you know, often when I'm working hard, yeah. and often and when I'm working hard are not the same category, but, mm. but often when I am working hard, it's doing a thousand little things in a thousand different places. But I've just had to be at work at 8.30 every morning, and I've left a bit after six. How disgustingly traditional of you. Yeah! It's very conservative. I feel like I'm cosplaying as an adult. <laughs> uh, I'm sure freelancers will relate that all the thousand other little things you were doing don't just considerately go away. Oh, no. At that moment. So that's my weekends at the moment. I've put my hours in at the coalface and I think I'm, I'm due a tea break. And this is for the Wicker Husband, yeah? This is indeed. This is for the Wicker Husband, uh, which is long-term listeners will know. The show I was doing when COVID hit and all the theatres got shut down, we managed a total of one show. Oh no. I know, I know. And it's like it's a big show with like fantastic puppets and a bunch of musicians and acrobatics and all sorts. Oh. And so no. for the longest time we didn't think that anyone was gonna find the money to like restage it. Yeah. But someone somewhere did, and so we are we are very happy to be returning to the Watermill Theatre from the eleventh of March. Brilliant. How about you, Mike? Is this a sort of the rest of the hardworking man is is the sweetest thing in the world, a la <laughs> a la Proverbs, or is this are you sitting there drinking? Drinking tea being like, I'm not, I'm not sure. Maybe I could have put in a bit more before I settled down for this tea break. No, no, I think definitely I am fully worthy of this tea break. Oh, I'm, I'm glad. I mean, there's been lots of fun, but time consuming family stuff going on in the last month. I get up in the morning expecting to do something with a day during the week. And all of a sudden I find I have to do something completely unwork related for the day. Yeah. <laughs> well, there went that day and I have to find somewhere else to shoehorn it in the otherwise already <laughs> shoehorned month. I mean, February's always the freelancer's worst month because it has three fewer days. Yes. So, yeah, it's been a struggle. <laughs> but we're there and I'm feeling pumped, mm -hmm. full of achievement. Mm -hmm. And I'm still only recording Project Studio Tea Break on the 27th. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, we gave away our secret. Yeah, it is indeed up against the wire. I'm speaking as a dear friend of the person who actually has to edit this drivel into a podcast. It's cutting it pretty squeaky. <laughs> You've done more in less time. I'm just going to be super concise mm. and everything I say is going to be funny. Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's my gift to you. Although it seems still like it was only yesterday that we recorded last episode. Which brings me on to some follow-up from our Grammy special last month. <gasps> oh, are we finding out? Because I, I haven't peaked. Well, you see, we don't know yet until April who's going to win. Of course, they rescheduled them. Um, I did find an odds site, but they weren't giving odds yet. That might have changed, actually, now. I, I need to well, recheck. Now, but... now we've released our podcast. Well, obviously, that will have skewed it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But of all the stuff we listened to, what was the thing that was least appealing? Feeling. Off the top of my head, probably Kanye West's new album. Yes, that was my thought. Yeah. Kanye West's Donda. Yeah. All 108 minutes of it or whatever it was. I think, honestly, if he'd taken any three of those songs at random and put them on an EP, mm. I would have given that a few listens. Mm. It is the size of it that just sort of leaves me cold. Well, I mean, you'll be delighted to know that about a week ago he dropped Donda 2 then. <laughs> what? 
What? Did we need any more Donda? Is this stuff all being recorded in real time? Is that what's happening? Maybe. I I mean, what I'm hoping is that Donda 2 has been made out of antimatter. And if you buy both of them, you actually get a nice, terse, combined 45-minute greatest hits. How is Donda 2 already out? I don't know. I'm still so damaged from listening to Donda 1 that I just couldn't face even bringing it up on anything. No. To even investigate it. Because it's not on Spotify, isn't it? I don't know. Maybe my favourite thing about Spotify. Apparently he released it on his special Stems app, whatever that is. Right, of course he is. (laughs) Okay, but I have some good news. Okay. Comparatively good news. Mm. Just looked it up. Mm. It's only 16 tracks long and only 45 minutes in length. Oh, well, well, maybe my theory holds then. Yeah. You know, if you cancel out 40 minutes of the 100 eight minutes you know you get a proper album length yeah so, something that looks a bit like it maybe that's why it has to be released in the stems app because you can't just release anti-matter tracks in any other format <laughs> no they're not supported on the spotify platform yet they're really <laughs> lagging behind and also i didn't realize that the lady gaga and tony bennett record that i got bored of after one track mm-hmm. isn't their first no i'd forgotten really yes they did one in 2014 called Cheek to Cheek. Okay. And that went to number one in the Billboard album charts. No. So all of a sudden, you know, Love for Sale suddenly makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, wouldn't you? And actually, Tony Bennett had a number one in 2011. That's before Cheek to Cheek uh-huh. with his duets album. And Lady Gaga's duet was the first track on that album. Oh my God. This is a decade in the making, Mike. <laughs> this is a supergroup. This is a lifetime partnership. But sadly, it looks like it's been running out of steam because it only hit number eight this time. That's still not bad, you know. Mm. Speaking, by the way, of what Spotify does and doesn't support and exactly what, you know, what comes off there when we're listening. Yeah. I had the oddest problem the other day, which was that a, a Canadian radio station very sweetly got in touch and they wanted to play How to Make a Mirror, my first single. Oh, fabulous. Yeah, it was great. And they asked for like a high quality MP3. Yeah. And I was away from my computer. I had, had my friend's computer to hand and my phone. But that was it. Yeah. And I thought, oh no, okay, I can try and get in touch with the label, but they'd like to do this tonight. So it's really time sensitive. And- no, I mean, I don't like to interrupt you, but this does sound like the setup for a facepalm. Are you sure we're in the right segment? <laughs> this is, well, honestly, if I didn't have such a gem to bring <laughs> to you today, I might have tried to stretch this into it. I mean, partly it doesn't work because the end is a bit boring. The label got back in time and they just sent them the master file. Yeah. But I first felt completely hopeless. Well, I don't have the files here. Yeah. Then I felt very optimistic because I was like, well, look, it's publicly available. It's all over the net. Yeah. On all these different platforms. Yeah. I can just download it from any of these. Yeah. But then I started thinking, well, look, I don't want to get a horribly compressed version. And while I am just, as you will know, I'm a complete dunce when it comes to, I don't know, this whole 256 versus 128 kilobit per second MP3 fight. I can listen to a four bit MP3. (laughs) And so long as it's got a catchy chorus, I don't very much care. I have even committed that cardinal sin of sins. And when a musician friend has sent me a track saying, listen on headphones, I've listened to it on my phone speaker. (laughs) There. You can all unfriend me now. Well, it was nice speaking to you, John. Um, (laughs) We've had a good run. 47 episodes of 46 and a half. Let's call it there. So I wonder in that situation what you would have done. You kind of paladin of audio technicalities. Well, you Ninja see, of kilobits. I have some very sophisticated technology. Right. Because I encounter this problem quite a lot while doing stuff for the multitrack library on the Cambridge MT site. Because I'll quite often get delivered multitracks and the mix that they'll send me is like a YouTube thing. Oh, interesting. And so what I did is that I actually invested 
in an aux cable. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> and so quite a lot of the preview mixes in the Multitrack library have come down that aux cable into my little Sony handheld recorder. <laughs> That's hilarious. Out of a headphone output. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just there to show you what the Multitrack sounds like. I can see that. I mean, line level signals, going through a couple of AD conversions. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be fine. Let's, let's say, though, that you're in my situation yeah. and you need to get a high-quality version of a track to somewhere mm. and it's very widely available. Let's say that it's actually you know, more widespread than anything I've released. It's, it's all around. I would have used iTunes. That's what I use for a lot of mixed reviews. Oh, of course. But actually, if it's widely available and you actually want the PCM CD quality version, mm. or better, in fact, in some cases, um, there's a site called Cobuz. Mm -hmm. Q-O-B-U-Z. And they have a streaming service, but they also have a download service. And you can download uncompressed CD quality albums of all the chart stuff. Oh, wow. It's something I only discovered a, a year or two ago. And actually, in some cases, you can download like 24-bit files, which is very cool. Okay. So the kind of thing that you, you just... You, I don't care what you say. You cannot hear the difference unless your speakers are the size of dinner tables and yeah. your ears are the size of planets or, or whatever. <laughs> that, I, yeah. yeah, you know. That's an image I'm not going to quite be able to shake for a while. <laughs> If I asked you to put the words Oh Jeremy Corbyn to music okay. <laughs> What would be your first? Um, down Waterloo Road is what came to me first Although that wouldn't work very well You do actually have a passing connection to the UK, don't you? I, I do, <laughs> thank you very much um, I am still legally allowed here So you're trying to tell me that the words Oh Jeremy Corbyn Doesn't immediately bring to mind Land of Hope and Glory What? That's what I would go No! Come on, that's perfect. It's, oh, Jeremy Corbyn. What on earth is that? You don't know the tune to Seven Nation Army, the riff. Oh, no, 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 I do. But there is a clear consonant halfway through that first note. It goes, ba, ba. Are you telling me that it's, uh, oh? <laughs> no, that's awful. My one's better. Here's why. Oh, Jeremy Corbyn. <laughs> no, mine's, mine's way better. Yes, I suppose so. Yeah, anyway, why are we arguing about this in particular? <laughs> well, I mean, broadly speaking, you could say that the Oh, Jeremy Corbyn thing that came out during the last UK election mm. was a kind of a riff on the riff of Seven Nation Army. Right. And it's just one of those songs that has been covered by everyone and their dog. I mean, do you know any covers of it? I'm sure I've heard a fair few. I've made a couple. Like, y you need four notes and a, and a cold yes. to get a decent, <laughs> a decent version of it together. Um, the Ode to Sinusitis. Precisely. Oh, that's lovely. I like that a lot. <laughs> well, that was my favourite one. I think we ended up talking about it, which is the Ben Lonka Soul one, which is a kind of funk soul version. Yes, yes, we did. I like that. That then Marcus Collins shamelessly ripped off as a kind of X Factor wannabe. But there have been, like, blues versions, country versions, um, a funk metal, electro tango. Wait, wow. <laughs> it was done on sitar by Ramin Jawadi for the season two of Westworld. You've done some deep diving, I can tell. And you'd be amazed. The list of people who've done covers of it. Just a short list. It's like Audio Slave, Hard Fi, <laughs> Flaming Lips, Metallica, Kate Nash, <laughs> Kelly Clarkson, Maroon 5. Maroon 5 has covered Seven Nation. Oh, that's upsetting. It is a little bit, isn't it? Yeah. Kelly Clarkson doesn't exactly shower it with glory either, does it? No, you say that. Kelly Clarkson, actually extremely good at the banjo. All right. <laughs> which, which, okay. I thought, sorry, I thought you were trying to salvage her reputation here. <laughs> 
No, which uh, to, to me puts someone a cut above. Okay. I heard her play Foggy Mountain Breakdown and it was incredible. Wow. Okay. Wait. Nope. That was Kelly Osborne. <laughs> <laughs> Ke- Kelly Clarkson's <laughs> reputation can continue to kind of molder, molder in the ditch, but I will not have anyone speak ill of Kelly Osborne. Oh, well, there you go. She's really good at the banjo. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. So a lot of people have done covers of Seven Nation Army. Mm. But within the last month, the definitive version has just been released. And, and to be clear, that, that wasn't the one that White Stripes did. Oh, no, no, no. They were just sowing the seeds of what would become the definitive version. Okay. And that comes courtesy of a Finnish YouTuber who uh, <laughs> has a channel called The Device Orchestra. And he's done a version played by two electric toothbrushes, mm-hmm. two credit card machines, okay. two electric typewriters... And a steam iron. What? And there's also a dancing pair of pliers. And I'm just about to send you the link to it. Okay, here we go. Okay, the most upsetting thing is that it doesn't sound quite good. <laughs> an electric toothbrush is on the main riff. The carriage movement on an electric typewriter is the percussion. This is <laughs> amazing. Oh, they've got pitch bend. Now, a real professional would watch a few seconds of this and then get back onto the podcast, but I'm afraid I'm going to need to watch the whole thing. No, all of these links, you have to watch the whole thing. One of the typewriters is typing seven, like as a snare. (laughs) This is very good. (gasps) The crash symbol is an iron, which doubles as a smoke machine. The dancing pliers are slightly underwhelming, but there's a lot of good stuff going on. What on earth did I just watch? And how could you send this to me when I see that this person has 50 videos and you want me to concentrate and talk (laughs) and listen? Well, don't worry. We're going to get on to a few highlights. Okay. The thing is, this guy has hacked a whole bunch of domestic devices kind of with bits of wiring to tap into their motors and actually MIDI sequence those to create these incredible performances. Right? No, it doesn't look like there's much tech involved. But let me send you the next link and you get a glance of some of the wiring and electronics and microprocessors and stuff involved in putting this stuff together. And also, you commented that the dancing was a bit lame. Oh, wow. This one, the dancing is not lame. Okay. (laughs) The song is Take On Me, which is just one of my favourite. This song should be covered more. (gasps) <gasps> it's already synchronised electronic toothbrush dancing counterweighted by a grater, a ladle and a slotted spoon. <laughs> oh my God, the little modulations in the melody are everything. Uh, there's so many levels on which this impresses. Firstly is just the fact of seeing these things filling in the different instruments you expect and you see this device and you think, well, what the hell that is that there for? Yeah. And then all of a sudden this cloud of steam emerges and you go, oh, that's the symbol, you know. Yeah. Just that in itself is brilliant. Mm-hmm. But then on the Take On Me one, you really get a sense of how insane the electronics is behind what he's done. There's all sorts of programming and, and microprocessors and wires everywhere, <laughs> everywhere. That he kind of tidies out of the way for the video proper. And then he still got somehow got this mental overhead to do things like getting the toothbrushes to have this little dance routine going on too. <laughs> And I mean, that's supplemented as well by the fact that you know how you get the frame rate on a video? Mm. And it's like those things, you know, you used to see on television programs Mm -hmm. that you'd see some car going along and you'd see the spokes in its wheels. And because of the way that the frame rate on the video and the way the wheel was turning worked, it made the wheel look like it was going backwards when the car was going forwards. Right. Yes, absolutely. And you get that same kind of effect going on with the vibrations that the toothbrushes are making. And so they sometimes seem to be make, doing these kind of curvy, snaky like movements and stuff <laughs> because ah. of this effect. Right, right, because of the frame rate of the camera that captured them or the way they've been uploaded to YouTube, one or the other. And it gives it this kind of sinuous quality, particularly oh. for the, one, the, the toothbrushes <laughs> that are playing the bass notes. 
It's it's stunning. Also, you never see any microphones in shots. No. And I kind of wonder how they're capturing some of this stuff. Yeah. Because some of it sounds really good. Right. Oh, actually, I've got another link to send you. I'll send you one that is just honestly... Okay. I want to listen to it sonically more than I want to listen to the original. That is quite something. I love chiptune kind of stuff, like like early video game mm. music. It, I don't know if it's just the association I've got with that aesthetic and, and carefree days of youth, but I think it's really cool. Like composers on Mario games and F-Zero X and Star Fox and stuff working with this incredibly limited palette. And this, to me, sounds like 8-bit music, despite being in some ways super analogue. Just out of interest... I- a brief sidetrack, given that you've mentioned the 8-bit thing. Yeah. I was just clued up recently to something that, that was actually done a couple of years back. Mm. Do you know that there's an 8-bit cover version of Miles Davis's Kind of Blue? No. The whole album? Oh, my God. Yep. No. Uh, did, have you had a listen? Called, brilliantly, Kind of Bloop. <laughs> <laughs> it was a Kickstarter oh, campaign. That makes me laugh more than it should. And it is exactly what you would expect. <laughs> Kindofbloop.com, I think. Kindofbloop.com, you're absolutely right. Oh, and they've got pixel art of the original. Okay, okay, going back to that soon. But anyway, check out the new link I've sent you. I have now queued up a cover of Believer by Imagine Dragons. Okay, quite an array of office equipment here. The genius of attaching Google eyes to vibration-driven instruments (laughs) is just... Is intense. Although that was driven by his followers. Really? He had so many requests. And he's given them little pipe cleaner arms. There's lots of stuff that's actually follower driven in this. Like he's named some of the instruments. <laughs> the toothbrush Bob Floss. Oh. <laughs> and featuring a slice of toast, which I, I think makes us kind of spiritual siblings, if nothing else. Called Breddy Mercury. My God, is it really called Breddy Mercury? <laughs> I mean, the thing about it is actually... The Sonics are brilliant. That's what makes it, right? It feels like it would be a relatively easy idea to do badly. Yes. If you played me any of these without the stunning visuals of it all being toothbrushes and credit card machines, I think I'm having a pretty good time. I think that's still pretty amazing. You start off and you think, oh, this is a nice little novelty. Mm. But then he's doing all these kind of like dance routines and he dresses up a Ghostbusters one as a ghost. Oh and let's say it's kind of wiggling about as like a ghost. He does the Night Rider theme and the toothbrush rides in on a remote controlled car. Of course. He just, we will rock you, and the credit card things feed out a picture of, like, rock and roll hand gestures. <laughs> There's so much inventiveness there, but then on top of that, it's not just a gimmick. Yeah. It's such an interesting sound. And the next one I want to send you, if you think of the programming mechanics of doing what he's done, it's also pretty mind-blowing because he's trying to recreate effectively rapping as well as music and stuff. Wait. Have a listen. Oh my god, wannabe. Yes. <laughs> This has got some very swan-like necks uh, from, as you say, this kind of frame rate capture. I can hear the spoken words. The MIDI program is incredible. (laughs) I can't really use any other word for what he's doing than orchestrating for electric toothbrush. Yeah, no, it's absolutely orchestration. I can't believe I'm saying this. The tone of the toothbrush varies across its register. Mm -hmm. You know, in certain areas, it has a kind of a rattle to it, and that happens to coincide with certain notes in the key of the thing he's done. And other points, it has a different tone, and then when it's bassy, it does something different. Yeah. And it's so beautifully fitted to the way the arrangement works. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. He's orchestrated it beautifully for toothbrushes. Yes. <laughs> and then, of course, all the like pitch bend and stuff that's going on to create those lines is just a lot of detailed MIDI programming work. Exacting in the extreme. This guy's a revelation. There's so much more on his channel as well. I mean, you've got <laughs> like the Star Wars Imperial March played on a toaster. Well, it's about time. You've got My Heart Will Go On on a washing machine. <laughs> <laughs> Which is great. Oddly appropriate. And of course, no listing of covers will be complete without Smash Mouth's All-Star. <laughs> I mean, All-Star, but it's entirely on household novice appliances. But the cherry on top of the cake, as far as I think you're concerned, mm. is the one I'm just about to send you. You've got to watch it to the very end because it's not just that he's managed to recreate the music but it's the choreography of the machines and what they're able to do while the music's happening that is just brilliant. Okay. You'll love it. I, I love it already because I love this song, Happy by Pharrell. Okay, so this is quite credit card centric. We've got... Well, there's a kind of a sewing machine there that's not doing anything. It's the Chekhov's gun, isn't it? <laughs> you know? Oh, that's going to be claps, isn't it? Gone, please. <laughs> Oh my god, it's making a smile out of the feed-outs of the credit card machines. That's absurd. He's making a smiley face. Oh god. That's why the background's yellow. I missed that completely. That's so clever. <laughs> no. No, I'm not going to say what happens at the end. I'm not going to say. You have to go watch it. But it is worth it. It's like You might get one minute and 50 seconds in being like, I have found all the joy that this video could give me, that any video could give me. But stick around. Oh my word. <laughs> Which means it's time now for our question and answer section where we dispense our wisdom generously and and without limit or consideration for minor things like intelligibility. (laughs) Trevor in Bermondsey writes to us and says... Innovation is difficult, mm. and as a young composer trying to make their name, I'm constantly told I need a unique sound. Oh, right. I feel you, Trevor. Yeah. My question is, in this modern, saturated market, how would you, Mike and John, make a unique sound? Let quality and other lesser parameters take a back seat. Yeah, put them to one side. All the best, Trevor and Bermondsey. Okay. This isn't like a, a sound effect. No. This is a track of between two and a half and five minutes. Yeah. But which sound? completely unique. Yeah. It's something that might focus our minds here. It's actually if I fire back a question of my own. Okay. Trevor, this isn't normally how we do it. <laughs> normally we actually answer the question that our listeners ask us. But no, no, this time we're going to go for no, you answer one. I'm moonlighting as a politician. <laughs> <laughs> when was the last production you heard where you thought that sounds like nothing else? Give me some examples so I can kind of put myself in this headspace. So here's one for me. Uh, the song House of the Rising Sun off of Pleader, which is one or two Alt-J albums ago. Right. What they did is they contacted a classical guitar school. All right. And wound up with 40 or 50 classical guitarists in a hall together. I think they used Abbey Road. Okay. Playing a fairly simple 6-8 arpeggiated chord pattern. Right. Which would have sounded like nothing at all by itself. Yes. But... To hear 50 classical guitars yeah. playing in very near unison in a room together, not just double tracked, yeah, 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 yeah. was a sound unlike anything I've heard. Or like maybe something like the Beatles' Tomorrow Never Knows, you know, getting the, that, those reverse things in that way for the first time. 100%. I was wondering whether maybe something like the Fuji's Killing Me Softly might be similar, just because the idea of something that stripped back was so shocking at the time. Completely. I know. I think that absolutely counts. Skrillex, I think, an early dubstep is a great example of that. I was going to mention Skrillex. They're 
all noises that we knew you could make, yeah. but using them musically in that way. Okay, well, in which case I have an idea. Okay. When you're programming a MIDI sound, okay. you've got lots of potential parameters that you can change in real time. Mm-hmm. There's all the possibilities of notes and rhythms. Yes. But, you know, a lot of people have used a lot of riffs over time. <laughs> this is fair. You know, it's difficult to really stand out with a new riff. Yes. Or a new rhythm. I think that's fair. And then you've got things like, you know, you can do like filter modulations, you can do effect modulations, you can do pitch bends, portamento, Mm. different envelope shapes and stuff like that. Yes. But the one parameter that almost no one changes in real time, because in practical terms, it can seem like a pain in the ass to do it, is the actual sound. Oh, you are absolutely right. I've never even considered that. And I actually experimented with this a few years back. I mean, in fact, many years back, mm-hmm. where I put, just because of the way my little XG synth worked and the little sequence that went with it, I was able to feed a, a kind of a repeating sequence into a whole different set of different sound patches. So each note would be a new sound. That's really fun. And so you could have just the same note. You didn't need to do anything fancy with the note. You could just change the sound per note. And you get this incredible new riff idea that really no one ever uses. No, it kind of so, so kind of arpeggiated through instruments. Yes, I mean when I was um, doing Skrillex for the mix review, I did Bang Around for the mix review. Mm. He's the closest to doing it because basically his thing is a beat and then little slices of audio that are basically one after another that are pretty much butt edited together. Right. That yeah, no, that makes it that tracks. And so it's pretty close to that concept. But I don't think I've ever heard anyone build a riff or a track around that concept. Yeah. The concept of changing patch in real time, not doing anything else in real time. So, I mean, I've given away my billion dollar secret now. You have. David Guetta is surely only seconds away from stealing it from me. I've not even been recording, Mike. I'm just going through a bit of a dry spell inspiration-wise. And I, thought <laughs> I'd, I thought I'd use this as a way to get me out of it. What a cool idea. And I can see, actually, I've fallen at the first hurdle of potentially providing a usable idea in the q segment. <laughs> yeah, that's not how we do it at all. Okay, so I've got a question for you for the parameters of this question. Oh, this is dueling questions, this is. Oh, I love it. Which is to say, would would you count something like the um, incredibly inspiring MIDI derived from a plant or an unborn child, <laughs> which just so happens to sound a lot like two chord new age nonsense? Oh God, not at all. Because it doesn't sound different. No, okay, good. There have been enough people who have been so stoned that they've been no more coherent than that MIDI data <laughs> in the past. Me too. Now, what I would <laughs> offer, though, my idea, my first idea that came to mind, is that mm. brainwaves, such as they are, are literally I'm just... staying with you here, but it's tough. So many really, really bad ideas have started this way. I know, right? At least I haven't said <laughs> quantum mechanics yet. You've not said anything about AI yet, either, so no. I'm bearing with you. You are, and I, I really, really appreciate the um, vote of confidence. I'm just letting you know that 46 episodes worth of trust are on the line here. <laughs> it's entirely on the line. The, the idea that I haven't kind of burnt those bridges many, many years ago is quite something to me. When you look at brainwave readouts, Mm. they don't look dissimilar from just a zoomed-in waveform because they are just voltage oscillations over time. Okay. Now, they range from about half a hertz to 35 hertz. I love the fact that the singular of a hertz is a hertz. (laughs) Yes! One hertz, thank you very much. Clocks run at a frequency of hertz. Um, It occurs to me, therefore... 
that presumably... Does that mean a grandfather clock is a hurt locker? Oh, my... <laughs> I, I don't need an ECG machine to hear you trying to come up with that pun. As you did an impression of listening to everything else that happened after that was mentioned. Well done. That was damn good. You could smell the smoke coming out of my ears on that one. Yeah, I really, I really, really could. Sorry, <laughs> go on. Okay, so, 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 when you have an ECG readout, then it's a bunch of these waves smushed together. Yeah. And it's a very, very low voltage, but then that's literally what amplifiers are for. Yeah. So if you were to just feed that into a preamp yeah. and then feed that into a speaker, you should get audible notes. Yeah. If you were to then pitch shift that... Or just speed it up after the fact. Yes, no, that's even better. If you just speed up the tape... Chipmunk your own brainwaves. Then everything in there is going to become audible information. Mm. I, I have no idea how it would sound. Yeah. But it would literally be music controlled by your brain. You can't even say it's music controlled by your brain. It is a transduction of your brain into an audio signal. Right. It's a direct transduction. In the same way that we hear whale song or, or bat communications because they're brought down into our hearing range mm. or up into our hearing range. Yeah, it is no more music controlled by your brain than a note on a guitar is music controlled by that string. It is just the information contained in that string. Yeah. And so I would love to have that hooked up live. And then there's 10,000 different things you could do. Mm. You could just see what happy people, sad people, whatever sound like. You could have an album which is my brain listening to Dark Side of the Moon. And <laughs> are there any similarities to someone else listening to Dark Side of the Moon or watching a certain film? I mean, this is a hell of a Pandora's box to open, though, isn't it? Because, I mean, could you ever recover if you were listening to Dark Side of the Moon and your brainwaves were playing the theme from The Good Life or something? <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, could that be the point at which thought crime could actually become prosecutable? <laughs> I would burn the tape. <laughs> but you know what else is great? Because we would need something like an eight times speed up yes. on the tape playback, mm. it would mean that you could essentially experience Dark Side of the Moon oh. in seven minutes. Wow. that You, you could oh. get all of the effect of it wow. in seven minutes. If you could record it and play it back, you could bottle... <laughs> someone's listening experience of Dark Side of the Moon, rather than listening to Dark Side of the Moon, you could get Alan Parsons listening to Dark Side of the Moon. You could get his listening experience of it. And you know what's even more exciting than that to me? Once you start stacking these things, mm. there's really no limits because if you want Alan Parsons listening to Dark Side of the Moon, you can have that. And that takes about seven minutes. Or you can have Brian May listening to Alan Parsons listening to Dark Side oh, of the Moon. Wow. That, once it's then sped up another eight times, that's a 30-second listening experience. But you are getting <laughs> all of the information. You kind of get a micro-dot record collection. Exactly. You can just go, oh, that was a great album. Oh, that was a lovely one, yeah. Oh, that was great too. Find your way through all the great novels in 20 seconds. Why the hell didn't you mention this idea a couple of months ago when we were listening <laughs> to the Grammys playlist? <laughs> what are you playing at? <laughs> that, well, how do you know that's not how I did it? Um, <laughs> I see. But also, I'm desperate to know whether, with a little practice, mm. one could get any kind of conscious control over the sound. I mean, I don't know whether it's possible to consciously control one's own brainwaves. Well, I feel like to an extent it is is because I can count up to 10 in my head, say. Yeah. And that is in some sense consciously controlling my brainwaves. But of course, any sense of control or intentionality that's in your head is also going to be audible. <laughs> yes. So it'd be like listening to a symphony where the conductor's counting out loud, you know? <laughs> 
A one and a two and a... Ooh, tricky bit. Ultimate authenticity. <laughs> yes! Yeah, it is the most exposed thing, mm. which then, of course, brings you to maybe it's not about trained players because then you just get you know you just hear how good at this they are. That's all. That's not interesting. Mm. So instead, you get someone who's never done this before. They are the musician and composer slash conductor becomes somebody who puts them through certain very specific experiences that they think <laughs> will result in good music. Oh wow! So a conductor is just someone with three large yellow flags with lizards painted on them, yes. running in a circle, shouting whoop, whoop, whoop at the top of their voice around some poor volunteer. They're performing on them. Yes. You know, they're playing the volunteer. Yeah, in order to generate Sibelius's Andante Festivo or something. Or just a screaming brainwave solo. <laughs> yes. I mean, imagine if that were the case, how much more entertaining a lot of live acts would be. Oh, my word. I mean, the stage act makes itself. Eat your heart out, throwing rock shapes. That would be my unique sound. And if we have any neuroscientist listeners, mm. please let me know the 10 reasons why this is a silly idea. That <laughs> please work. let me know your diagnosis of us. <laughs> and after you've done that. <laughs> yeah, please, can we have our magic brain music machine? Yes. Just having a thought if, if there's another kind of... Um, I mean, we live in a world with the Fruit and Vegetable Orchestra. Yes. A group of very serious musicians who actually do, at the beginning of each concert day, build their instruments from scratch from potatoes, carrots and squashes. So there's not a lot of low-hanging, if you'll excuse <laughs> the phrase, fruit. Yes, yes. I think there might still be quite a lot of crossover potential between different genres that people haven't taken advantage of yet, just because they haven't worked out quite how to make it work. Because we heard uh, Aruj Aftab last month. That's true, and that was mind-blowing. Who was doing something that I'd never heard done before, that in hindsight you'd think, oh, that's actually quite obvious mm. that you'd put those things together. I'm sure there must be other things like that. Hmm. Has there ever really been any club music that has been heavily electric guitar? Based. I mean, the Prodigy probably got closest, but not that close. Hmm. No, you're right, you know. You know, could you do something that's kind of heavy metal, but actually EDM? Yes. Or like Bluegrass Electronica is another one. I'm just riffing off the top of my head. You, you know, know, one that I wish I'd been the one to invent, but actually was quite large pre-pandemic, and I'm sure will be rising again soon, is Heavy Metal Kaylee's. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, I love that. For me, it's one of those Ig Nobel Prize things. Because it first makes you laugh and then it makes you think. Okay. Because it sounds just ridiculous. But then you think about like the fast moving diatonic craziness of a lot of metal tunes. Yeah. And then you look at jigs and reels and there's an awful lot of crossover. Yeah. One driving rhythm that just gets you through a whole song. A dancing style, which is mostly just an excuse to kind of run into people in creative ways. It's not far from a mosh pit really, is it? No. And also, you've got the caller in a, in a Kaylee. You know, the heavy metal caller would be like, Take your partner by the hand! Turn the run and turn the round! Oh, there has to be a screamo cooler. Absolutely. <laughs> Now, like many esteemed and respected media outlets, <laughs> we at Project Studio Tea Break mm. Mm. <laughs> take our responsibilities to balanced content very seriously. Yes. And so following a section where we have so clearly provided mm. useful, helpful, <laughs> well-researched information, I feel there is a need at this point to balance that by a, a tale of incompetence and inadequacy. 
<laughs> and I wonder, John, whether there's anything you could provide to make sure that we remain balanced in this way. We cannot overemphasize or overamplify <laughs> enough our incompetence. <laughs> and it can be easy to think, just because we're on your telephone and in your ears, mm. that maybe we know some subset of what we're doing. But gosh, where, where could I go? I could tell you the story of how my new single, which came out a couple of days ago, which is very exciting for me, was very, very nearly about a third of the length that it should be because of my bad <laughs> filing. And I, I just sent the wrong files to the people who were putting things places and didn't look at the length. Yep. I just I just listened to the first five seconds each time and I was like, yep, this is the one. Well, that's a bullet dodged. I could tell you about the time I accidentally stole a drumstick from a fellow musician and then took it on stage, which then left them without a drumstick and me with a drumstick that I could neither hide nor really use. <laughs> but no, this month's Face Farm is kind of a love letter to theatre dressers. You need to explain to me what this is. You see, I don't have the lingo. I'll tell you, I'll tell you. Is this a piece of furniture that sits in the corner of the stage <laughs> and has drawers in it? But not real drawers. It's just a theatre dresser. <laughs> Basically, a theatre dresser is someone who makes you realise that you have collectively wasted hours, days, weeks of your life getting dressed and undressed in a <laughs> slow, inefficient, unfun way. Right, okay. And these are people who, when, when a performer needs to very quickly change costumes off stage, they do it for them with a magic which I can only imagine is exceptionally useful when dating. Oh, right. You know, imagine that the mood is right and consent is freely and enthusiastically given and then with just a clap of their hands and kind of <laughs> a light running down of fingers on buttons you are entirely nude yeah um, it really is a, a thing to behold and I've, I've and I seem to remember dressers have featured in previous face palms oh yeah <laughs> there was a costume related face palm of some coat that needed to be retrieved because you'd left something in the pocket yeah oh god yeah yes it was your dulcimer sticks I seem to remember by necessity they're just about the most forgiving people Yes. You'll ever come across. <laughs> Despite repeated provocation, I imagine. Yeah. Nothing gets their goal. And I can say that with some <laughs> confidence as someone who has tried very nearly everything. Right. So this is a story from the, the, the Christmas show at the Royal Opera House where I had the joy of coming on stage as a big, beautiful butterfly with these two gigantic kind of wings made out of a bamboo pole that painted silk was hanging from. The enormously heavy, surprisingly light looking. <laughs> surprisingly light looking and absolutely weighed a ton on sticks. And I, I, had, I had a wonderful dress. So Mark helped me change from my rest of the show clothes into that. And my job, it wouldn't have been asking much from most people. It really wouldn't. <laughs> I had to get off stage at the right time, stand a certain way while someone with a lot of talent did very talented things. Yes. Pick up my wings and get on stage in time. What could possibly go wrong, John? For most people, <laughs> nothing at all. Right. For me, I managed to find something and I'm so very proud of myself. <laughs> which... <laughs> was basically I left a wing behind oh, Mike because they were oh, yeah oh wow. my god they, they, they stacked up together yeah and, and because it's quite tight backstage I just kind of held them clutched together until I was pretty much to centre stage it was dark at that moment and then I'd open them up into big old wings Oh, it was worse though because I, I just grabbed one I left the other in the corner didn't see whatever it was wow and I didn't realise this I was just marching very confidently to my impending queue and so my dresser was left Holding a wing. In a situation that I would have just panicked in. Oh, God, yeah. Couldn't chase me. And they... <laughs> so they found a way, a method of long-range communication, <laughs> for which I'm eternally grateful. Because I, as I say, I had no idea that I was in this shtick, in this um, 
quagmire. You were in this stickless shtick. Exactly. Until halfway, confidently strutting across the stage, mm. I felt a sharp pain on my ass, as if someone had just whipped it quite hard with a bamboo stick. <laughs> and I turned to see that, to my eternal gratitude, he had hit me across the ass quite hard with a bamboo stick, <laughs> upon which was the rest of my wing. <laughs> Crouched right at the edge of the wing, just kind of flailing this about at me. There's something beautiful and poetically complete about the retribution for the misdeed being the very vehicle of restitution. <laughs> <laughs> the means of correction. Mm. Yeah. It was oddly poetic after the fact, of course, in the moment. <laughs> it stung. There was just that heart-dropping fear that the belly leaves the body <laughs> as you realise that you very nearly just climbed up onto a pedestal in the centre of the stage and opened up your wing. <laughs> you found yourself flying in circles. <laughs> yeah, really. I would have just... I... I, oh, God. I cringe to think, even now, what that might have looked like. Oh. The face palm area is always our crucible of learning in the podcast. Oh. I mean, what would have been the out there? I mean, I would like to say with great confidence that you've learnt your lesson and this kind of thing will never happen to you again. It almost certainly will. Just based on the evidence we have currently. Yeah. I think it will be safe to say that there might be some learning to be pulled out of this for a future event. <laughs> so, I mean, in that situation where you found yourself on stage trying to open your wing, I mean, what would you have done there? What, what would have been what, the... Okay, so I'm, I'm trying to think. There would have been nothing to be done. Really? Well, yeah, it would have been endured. Once I am once I'm up and fully on stage, the wings are actually only out for about three or four minutes. Yeah. I am entirely alone on this raised middle section of stage. So even if another performer had got hold of them, it would have been next to impossible for them to pass them in such a way that I could take hold of them during this choreography, which is pretty much just jogging in circles. Mm. So I think I would have just had to perform it with one wing. Bear with me here. In my mind's eye, right, I'd seen the picture of those epic wings and you've got one of them mm. if you had actually turned it into you know how sometimes you get those uh chinese demonstration troops that do like martial arts and stuff on stage i and do the, the idea of having a banner that you kind of wave around two-handed i wonder whether you could somehow have styled it out see i think that would have been not my favorite solution but the only one right it really would have been to say this one stick represents wings. Yes. What? Are you not artistic enough to get this? The idea of flight. Yes, there you go. The concept of flight is contained within this one wing. Yeah. See how I waft it back and forth. <laughs> my first sung line was my wings are my greatest joy. Just make that singular. Oh, no. I know, I know. It was just, God, this is why it's so fortunate. This is the other thought. Is if, if he'd realised a moment too late and you were already on your way, I mean, I'm imagining if I had been in that person's shoes and had known quite the fall you were about to take whether maybe the dresser because he would have had fairly plain clothes on I assume oh yeah blacks well if he was in blacks that's perfect because he could have followed you onto the stage and it could have become a little bit of a ballet between the two of you before you finally <laughs> had the two wings in your possession and then he could kind of pirouette off see I think I think there is something deeply ingrained in theatre culture which would mean that that wouldn't happen oh really I would have thought it would have happened because of that the kind of show must go on idea more the fact that the 
inhuman heroes of the backstage crew are responsible for everything that happens in the wings and behind the stage. Okay. If you choose to walk onto the stage unprepared, right. that is fully beyond their remit. Oh, right. So it would be like a sackable <laughs> offence. It's like the union would rip your epaulettes off and yes. punch a hole in your bowler hat. There you go. Right. Ne'er the twain shall meet. Now, it would be a bit different if they had handed me one wing. Then someone might have come on stage. But yeah. if I make the decision to grab my prop and walk on with one, then it's for me to style that out. And as you say, as you imply, I think I could have fooled me in an audience into thinking that it was only meant to be one wing <laughs> and that it just wasn't a very good bit. You know, I, I don't think as an audience member, I would have guessed this idiot has left his second wing backstage because who walks out with just one wing for a wing bit that's mostly about the wings? And then the moment you left the stage door, you'd have put your earplugs in so you didn't hear the, Mummy, why did that fairy only have one wing? <laughs> yes, there you go. <laughs> I'd have brought up some some nice supportive email that someone sent me about a show from four years ago and just read that huddled in a corner of the dressing room. Yeah. Oh, oh that is excellent. So yes, that is, that is my face palm. It was lovely to relive it on air, as it always is. <laughs> Cathartic for the rest of us. Yes. Yeah, well, that's the hope. <laughs> After 46 toast-packed episodes, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think it would be fair to say that at this point we can consider ourselves toast aficionados, mm. toast gourmets even. I think so. I think we're right up at the top of the stack, yeah. first in the toast rack. I mean, at the point at which you become something of a sommelier of toast foley. Obviously, there comes the point where people will begin to challenge your abilities. Ooh. And so this episode, I have decided to present you with our very, very first Toast Foley challenge. Oh, bring it on. And you see, this has been several months in the making. Because again, if we cast our mind back, listeners, <laughs> to the end of December, when John's first single was launched. I recall. And I happened to be in the UK then for the launch gig. So very, very nice to have you there. And obviously, as the dedicated fan of Witten End that I am, I came to the gig with something to sign. <laughs> but not just anything. <laughs> Uh -huh, uh -huh. I brought a slice of toast. Uh, he did, to the gig venue. <laughs> and then up to me. And a pen with which to sign it. This man is nothing if not prepared. You know, it is, it is ridiculousness, but it is well-planned ridiculousness. But you see, I had an ulterior motive. Oh, yeah? You see, I was already sowing the seeds of this toast challenge. Camoriati. I was wanting to work out whether you would be able to hear the difference between a regular slice of toast from the same loaf and the one that had that unmistakable wit and charisma Ooh. inscribed upon it. Star quality. So I've recorded mm -hmm. Toast Foley with each of those pieces of toast. And you've got to tell me whether it's Toast 1 or Toast 2 is the one that you signed. Okay, I'm pretty confident, honestly, on this one. So here we go. Okay. Firm, light, sprightly sound on the first one. Seems like a limited area, maybe. Let's head to number two. Mmm. <laughs> I gotta say, the second one sounds exactly like what happens every time I try to put marmalade or, or butter on a slice of toast. Uh, it, it was worth it just for the look of concentration on your face while you were listening to the first file. <laughs> 
I was 100% committed to figuring this out. I tell you what, my method was going to be that I remembered that in my signing, I'd slightly mangled the toast. Because everyone listening, it's not easy to write on toast. There's a reason why you, we use paper instead. It was quite whole grain toast as well. It was quite open weave, so to speak. Yeah, there you go. It was, it was already quite bitty. Yeah. So if you, if you add to that, you know, my, my relatively long name. So I was really thinking that I might find it in some unevenness in the sound, maybe <laughs> gaps in the toast or just having to be very small strokes over the, the unbroken area. But I managed to figure it out in another way. So I'm, I'm very proud of that. <laughs> like, that, is, that is excellent. Thank you. Thank you very, very much for that. Which brings us on, of course, with every slice of celestial toast, we have top quality jam. Mm. Now, possibly the greatest radio programme of all time is Desert Island Discs. God, it's not going anywhere, is it? No. And you know Desert Island Discs. I think most of our listeners have got to know Desert Island Discs. But just in case you don't know Desert Island Discs, it's been running on BBC Radio for like 3,000 episodes. 500 years. And the basic format, in case you've never encountered Desert Island Discs. (laughs) Somehow missed this one. A guest comes on and discusses a story of their life through the medium of choosing their eight records that they would take with them if they were being stranded on a desert island. Mm. I mean, have you considered what your desert island might be? Has it crossed your mind at some point in your life? God, no, there's definitely been moments where I've mentally added one to a mental list which I've yeah. been promptly lost. I can't think of anyone who knows the programme who hasn't at some point thought, oh, I wonder what I'd take with me, you know? Exactly. But for musicians, it's practically hell on earth trying to whittle yourself down to eight. The amount of records which are not going to be shown the love they deserve. So you always feel sorry for a musician who has to go on the show in that respect. But setting that aside, there are some other things you're allowed to take with you. They let you take complete works of Shakespeare and your preferred spiritual tome, whether that's the Bible or the Quran or whatever. They also allow you to take another book and a luxury item. Yes. Now, like all musicians, I would find it very difficult to narrow down the music down to the eight. Mm -hmm. But for several years now, I have been absolutely convinced what my luxury item would be. What's that? It would be the complete Muppet Show. Okay. I absolutely love the Muppet Show. (laughs) Even its pilot episode is brilliant. Really? Not only is it beautifully and hysterically funny so often, Mm. but it's also the quality of the puppetry and the acting and the characterisation and the expression is peerless. I mean, there are Muppet Show sketches that I can just watch again and again and again and again without tiring of them. Like, you know, the Saxon violence sketch that was in the original pilot. (laughs) There's the Manamana that was in the first season. And the one that is probably my favourite ever Muppet Show sketch, which is the one with Animal and Rita Marino singing Fever. I don't think I know that one. Oh, it is superb. Because, of course, the concept of Animal is that he's this scarcely contained whirlwind of drumming rage, right? Mm -hmm. And the drumming part in Fever is basically a hi-hat offbeat. That's it. No, no, we have. And so you get Rita Marino in the foreground singing and Animal's in the background on the drum kit. (laughs) And you can just see... Him vibrating with desire to do outrageous frills and stuff, and occasionally he does, and then this, he gets into this kind of staring match with Rita Marino, and, and there's a point at which you see he's just about to let rip, and then Rita Marino turns around and looks at him, and he kind of freezes and just keeps going. Yeah, it's so beautifully performed. That would be it for you. Yeah, the Muppet Show is just one of the all-time greatest pieces of art. And the thing is, if you were stranded on this island, you'd need something to cheer you up, mm. and the Muppet Show can cheer me up like nothing. Nothing else. It is just unalloyed joy. And so this brings me to my jam this month, which isn't actually the official Muppet Show. Okay. It is that a very good impersonator who can impersonate all the Muppets decided to do a Muppets version of Hamilton. <laughs> 
The musical. They didn't. Now, the only reason this exists in my life is because someone <laughs> on this school was kind enough to send it to me and destroy an hour of my productivity. Yeah. And the thing is, it would have been enough for me if they'd just done a little fake trailer for it mm. or if they'd just done one or two songs. But this is the whole of Hamilton mm-hmm. done effectively by the Muppets, unofficially by this guy, Ricky Downs III. And he's really good at the voices. <laughs> at Muppet voices, yes. I have a great deal of time for running jokes, but it's the kind of running joke that I think to myself, really, can you extend a running joke over more about two and a half hours worth of Hamilton? <laughs> and it, he does it. It just um, blows my mind that he does it. Mm. And there's so many levels on which it's good. I mean, the first is just the casting. Oh, my. Wo- oh, yes. It yes, seems yes. so trivial, this concept. It's just like, oh, get Muppets doing all the parts. But all the choices are so clever. I mean, even just the concept of just choosing a musical. If you're going to choose a musical to do as the Muppets, you need a lead character who sounds a little bit like Kermit the Frog. And Lin Manuel Miranda does. Oh. <laughs> and so it's so beautifully cast. He does. It is. And just when he first comes in, it, you want to be angry, but you just can't be. <laughs> it's too darn good. And the thing is, there are points in the kind of Muppet canon where Kermit is a bit of a pathetic in like pathos sense, pathetic character. Like when he sings... Um, it ain't easy being green. Yeah, it ain't easy being green, that thing. And so he's actually quite suited to the pathos of the character too. And there are some bits where the pathos is really strong, particularly at the end of the musical in um, uh, It's Quiet Uptown. It gets quite quite affecting mm-hmm. but brilliantly the my very favorite piece of casting is what still manages to make it hysterically funny despite mm-hmm. the fact of it descending to pathos this is my favorite of casting too the first person who sings who isn't kermit is angelica who is camilla the chicken <laughs> <laughs> he has absolutely committed Mm. to casting the non-verbal characters as well (laughs) and having everyone else in the cast it's as if they are understanding the words that we can't understand Mm. so I mean obviously Angelica is the chicken that that is brilliant so some of her like lead numbers are mostly just (laughs) but with the rhythm of the part he's listened to the part and he's actually recreated it with the and Beaker is also an absolute standout Mm -hmm. what what character is he Um, we see he's John Lawrence and then he's Philip Hamilton. Yes, the son, the son. The pathos of, of his son dying oh. is with Beaker going, And, you know, there are bits where, where John Lawrence is, is rapping mm. with the other guys, and a lot of it is the hip-hop thing of, you know, the main guy's rapping, then the other guys will join in for little hooks and refrains and things, and so you're going, and then all of a sudden the other guys join in with the words <laughs> as if they know what he's saying. <laughs> <laughs> as if they're following this song. Oh, it's... Oh. Okay, but here's something I've noticed as a fairly enthusiastic Hamiltonian. Yes. That you've just pulled examples from The Duel and It's Quiet Uptown. Mm. I happen to know that those are both in the last 20% of the show. Oh, yes. Which means to me, I had a very pleasant good chunk of time skipping through this video and finding my favourite bits and enjoying how they were done. It sounds to me like you were there for the long haul. Oh, absolutely. Every (laughs) single minute. There is so much to be gained by this. And this is where he's just gone above and beyond what might seem the original comic conceit, Mm -hmm. which is basically, do it in Muppet voices, isn't that funny? Mm. He's actually brought the ethos of the Muppet show in there. You know, when when Fozzie's playing um, like Lafayette and Jefferson, 
there are bits where he's rapping so quickly, he starts cocking it up and goes, oh, no, this is really fast. Can we slow the tempo down just a bit? Oh, is it too late to bring in an understudy? You know, he's doing all the really bad stand-up comedy stuff that he always does. Or that um, Miss Piggy hires Kermit at the end of Burn. Oh, yeah, yeah, or, absolutely. Or that between numbers, you get Waldorf and Statler making insulting jokes about the cast and the show. Absolutely giving their two cents. And there are little um, cameos as well. Like the Sesame Street cast come in as the Federalists mm. <laughs> later in the show. Like the Count and Cookie Monster and Big Bird and stuff. He's actually committed to doing this properly. What was it that we said about the orchestra of machines or whatever it is? Device orchestra. Device orchestra, thank you. The playfulness bred with like real ingenuity and creative talent is just, oh, it's a yes. powerful thing. And the deep love for the Muppet Show. Mm. But in fact, both for the Muppet Show and for Hamilton. Yes, it must be. I mean, that shines mm. through in what he's oh, done 100%. Here. And yet at the same time, there's this deep commitment as well to this concept of the Muppets always bludgeoning it. <laughs> the painful, serious, out of tuneness that is Burn from Miss Piggy, who never ever sings in tune. That's her character. And he commits to her doing that the whole way through Burn. Yeah. And must be technically difficult to stay off key like that the whole time. Oh, 100%, especially from someone who's clearly got as many musical chops as he does. Yes. It's magnificent. And it is, you know, I will say, it is possible to enjoy it very, very much yeah. without doing a Mike Senior and listening to it start <laughs> to finish. Yes. Um, <laughs> You've got to be a hardcore Muppet Show fan to go all the way through it. A real Ricky Downs the Third um, obsessive. Oh, yes. And the more you get into it and the more you invest into it as a listener, the more that comes out of it. Mm -hmm. It's just funny hearing Animal being King George III. Yes. Then you go one more step and you go, well, actually, isn't that almost the perfect characterization of George III as this <laughs> borderline psychopathic <laughs> yeah. guy? And then if you get far enough through it, you get to the point of, it's almost like a meta joke in that it ends with, Animal need throat lozenge because he commits to that oh. screamy delivery for the whole number. <laughs> and I must have had to do that over several days because it's <laughs> so tiring on a voice. And there's a moment where Animal goes into falsetto, I think, for the only time in the history of the Muppets. <laughs> that is shocking for a died in the world Muppet fanatic like me. <laughs> or lines like, I'm so blue, but Animal is red. <laughs> <laughs> Sadly, that almost concludes this month's episode, but we have to make time for this month's sponsor, who realised that the dental health of musicians is extremely important. <laughs> it, it, this doesn't sound like a contrived setup at all. No. Can no. I just say? Like, it sounds very sincere. <laughs> well, I mean, this month's sponsor is MusiClean. I've realised that <laughs> they need good teeth, both as a presentation thing, and obviously for wind players, it's very important, this kind of embouchure support. Of course. And that the key to good brushing is twofold. Okay. Firstly, obviously, there's just a question of the amount of time you spend brushing. Mm. But also, a variety of brushing patterns and brushing frequencies is important for the most effective cleaning. I have heard that, yeah. So they've teamed up with the Device Orchestra <laughs> to bring you the Tone Brush 5000. Uh, oh yeah? And how does this work? And it includes a choice of songs that you can program into your electric toothbrush. Such that not only will the length of the song show you how long you should be brushing. This is amazing. But the different tones and frequencies have been carefully selected to uh, brush your teeth optimally with a variety of different brushing patterns. I'm so happy this exists. And obviously there's a range of different songs available, including, for example, um, Barry Manilow's 
can't smile without you. Oh. <laughs> um, I can only assume that Mac the Knife is in there. Yes. Because that shark has pretty teeth, did, and he shows them pearly white. And plaque is just not a problem yes. for that particular gangster. <laughs> so thank you to uh, Music Clean for supporting the show. Uh, if you too would like to support our genre-busting independent podcasting, mm-hmm. then do please head over to patreon.com slash Break, where there are so many extras, as usual, Two extras coming out every week. Just in the last month, we have had a giant sopping wet toad. We've had cats. We've had dogs. We've had a flock of gophers. We've had poetic smoke rings and a farting balloon. It's quite the menagerie. This is the kind of content, just by supporting our podcast, that you can get in your podcast feed Mm. twice a week. Wonderfully worth it. We are on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash PSTB tweets and Facebook at facebook.com forward slash PSTB books. John, do you have anything to plug? For myself, I am performing uh, all this month at the Watermill uh, in The Wicker Husband. Uh, it's going to be a great show. Please do come out to that. And as we were recording two days ago, my, my newest single under Wittenland has come out. It's called Lie to Me. I like it a lot. That's why I did it like that. Uh, and you can have opinions on it too if you search Wittenland Lie to Me. It's also on Mike's wonderful multi-track library. So if you listen to the mix and reckon you could do better, then please do show me how it's done. Just a brief note on the library. It's amazing. The last track, How to Make a Mirror, when up on there as well mm. and i got icelandic stadium rock versions i got kind of stripped back into i got alien spaceship versions just the oh, the wow. sheer creativity <laughs> here was amazing I've, I've reached out to a bunch of those people to see if i can like feature their mixes oh wow. wherever wherever i put anything um because there is so much interesting stuff going on so that's my plugs and if you would like to uh, email us with any comments about the show then you can email us at tbreak at projectstudioteabreak.com thank you so very much for joining us and until next time ta pets ta-ra, pets. ta-ra!